Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We ride against the Russian guns this week with Tony Richardson's 1968 Crimean War epic, The Charge of the Light Brigade. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Hello. Mike B. Yep. Nate. Smack it three times if it's a new ride. And this week's uh, special guest and reoccurring friend, co- the, uh, I fucked it up. <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. You're good. You're good. You're good. And this week's special guest. Recurring co-host and friend of the podcast, Sean. Glad to be back. What's up, good dude? Good to have you. Yep. I'm glad I got Mike on that one. That made me feel good. <laughs> you got so, me too. I just okay. laughed yeah. so <laughs> I was gonna a like graphic like, depiction of British sex I, I displayed was, across oh. the scene. I was gonna yell like, "This is not love!" But I my favorite quote from the whole movie is like five minutes in, where they're at the ball, and he says, "Too much Swiss and tits for me." You know, yes, so. yes. mine is uh, where he uh, feeds the guy lettuce, and he turns oh, yeah. into like Nigel Thornberry. Don't insult Tim Curry like that. Yeah, Nigel Thornberry. I, def- oh yeah, I'm glad yeah. I'm not the only one who thought that, Sean. Thank you. Oh yeah, no, I yeah. definitely, definitely had that same vibe, but like. It's Nigel fucking Thornberry, Nigel but he can actually see him. He's not some yeah. redheaded, like you know, big nose like dude. He, uh, I, I I don't know what actor played. I can't remember his name, but he looks very good. It was very well cast. Trevor if you Howard. See the real, uh, yeah. Have you ever seen the real a photo of the real uh, Lord Cardigan? He looks just like him. It was very well done. Mm-hmm. No, no, I haven't. But yeah, I not many people it. I know personally can have a mustache or a beard like that, and it's uh. You know, it's a very cultivated thing. Yeah. So Nathan is one of those people. The people that don't know what he looks like. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, like the day I shave, I'm gonna try to time it with like a real like period movie and do like a full on broad broadside look. <laughs> there, there was one time where I really jumped should. on. There was one time where Nate and I jumped on, uh, on, on the the cam thing, and uh, when he popped up, he had no beard. Just and I, I didn't know that he was gonna be shaving. And it, like it startled me a little bit, <laughs> just because I was not expecting it. I was it's like, a, it's oh, a frightening oh. thing. Yeah, the, right. the, the, the double chin is frightening. I will admit. <laughs> it's like a, it's like you never know. He's either a thumb or it's Lord Cardigan. Like, you don't know what you're gonna get. So like you know, are we going against the Russian guns or like we robbing a bank in the central Ohio? I don't know what's going on. Like, it's gonna be an adventure. Well, and honestly, honestly, I don't say this because I, I, I generally just fucking hate like the excessive facial hair on people, especially with this film. I'll get into a lot of the shit that I hate about that. That's one of them. Um, mm. But wanna... Nate, you do look better, not just because of the double chin, which I, I, I can relate to. So, right, right, right. You know, got more chins than a Chinese phone book, but like, um, so it's not just because of that. It's like you, you do look good with a beard. Yeah, like. You're one of those people that like looks good with a beard, and yeah. I hate to say that, but yes, it's yeah, the, it's very few and far fucking between that I'm when, gonna say that. When, when, when you can do when you can do a complete circle around your head with facial hair, you know you can like 
like well yours is like si- a really my sideburns really are as oval. long as my fucking hair at this point so it's just uh, like you know it goes all the way around no it's it's still a pretty defined oval let's just not let's not ingratiate ourselves yeah you pull it out obviously <laughs> what, what the fuck are you doing it's like uh, a anyway, video game when they're the, the the skin texture is is stretched out. It's it's like the beginning of Mario sixty four. Unless you right, gel yeah. that shit out and you fucking <laughs> style it to stick straight out like that, it's not fucking. It's if not I profile. actually gave two fucks about about my fucking facial hair, like oiled it and actually took care of it, like this is me. This is me. Like I literally wake up and this is it, and I don't hashtag no makeup. Nothing. Yeah, hashtag yeah, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. God knows what dwells in there, man. Yeah. Uh, snacks, dude. Maryland. Dog, the dogs. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Old Bay and snacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But old Bay Not necessarily in that order. I'm like a yes. bottom feeder. <laughs> All right. So with that, the facial hair in the film is interesting as fuck. Yeah. The, that the, era? The, the, well, the, the time yep. period, I mean, like, I mean, that, I mean, it's the same period. What, what year is it? Again, 1844, or I'm sorry, 1854. 1854. <laughs> so it's yeah, Civil I, I War. A, it's a little bit yeah. close to Civil War. <laughs> yes, for, this, for our you, context, yeah. You could call this the precursor to what the American Civil War would look like. This this conflict. Yep. And it was post Mexican American War and pre American Civil War. So this is this is the first. Uh, I, again, I this is the first rifle. The, the first conflict that the Minier rifle and the Minier ball and like rifled really like both sides had rifled weapons were used in this is a, a very revolutionary war um i know this is a little bit unconventional like we're not giving our, our real opinions of it first maybe we just go off like on tangents like this for the episode might be cool well, no we can give our opinions book. like we're, we're just, no, just this, because this is going really well but no yeah. um it's a very revolutionary war because there was like war correspondence were a big thing for the first time um like photography and war was a big thing um photography had been out for like 30 years but it really was the first time that they could really you know, do it on a battlefield setting. And uh, just like Sean said, you know, it really it was a precursor to what you would see, you know, five, six years later in the States. And um, it's a very interesting time, too, not just for technology um, and, like, warfare and stuff, but really just for, like, communism and certain political movements in Europe and how things are going. Well, this is after the 1848 revolution and stuff. I'm just saying it's an interesting time as far as that. Oh no, I'm watching concerned. Nathan try to twirl so, his fucking mustache. Oh. Sorry, about <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, just just don't fucking just stop. <laughs> yeah, he kind of did it. Hey, he did great, it. but but no, it's a very interesting time. You know, there's it's a very revolutionary time, and I don't think people realize that how the 1850s were. Um, it, this this conflict unfortunately gets overshadowed by the American Civil War. That's kind of yes. how you hear yep. about it in school. Is like. Um, Modern warfare tactics were kind of showed in the, uh, in you know, modern rifles were kind of showed in the Crimean War and what they would do with old tactics. But in the American Civil War, and you kind of just move along and you don't really learn anything about it. Um, and this movie sent me down a huge rabbit hole to find out about the Crimean War and about the charge. And, and well, how important I, the entire conflict was yes. for European and actually world history, inevitably. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 insane. But yeah, it's insane. This this movie, I watched it the first time and I I really liked it. I Brian invited me to come on and watching this a second time and learning about the battle, learning about the charge and and the whole Crimean campaign. My opinion has kind of lessened from it. I see right now I'm where you are because, yeah, I don't know jack shit about the, the Crimean War. And I thought this was pretty damn entertaining. You know, I was pretty, pretty damn entertained by the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's an entertaining movie. 
um, historically, there's a lot wrong with it. It gets the certain beats right, especially when you get to the charge of as to what happened. It gets kind of most of those beats right, but there's a couple of things historically that they could have done better and it could have been shown better. And the movie just kind of didn't take that and kind of made shit up. Mm. especially the first part. Captain Nolan wasn't even in the 11th Hussars. He was in the 15th Light Dragoons. He was not under Lord Cardigan's command, really at any point, from what all the research I've done. He was part of the British Army in India. They kind of touch on that. British officers, if you served in India, you weren't liked. There was a stigma against them that you were lazy, even though you were probably only the ones who had seen combat, but you were lazy. That was the stigma against the Indian officers. That's why he's... Lord Cardigan doesn't like him, but they didn't. I I don't think the two had even really met before going to the Crimea. Um, Nolan was attached to Raglan's staff, and he was actually sent over early to go into Varna in Bulgaria, Romania. My mind is blanking on where that is, but that's where the Turks initially turned back the Russian advance into um, past the Danube River. Um, before the Allied army went, and Nolan was looking for remounts for the cavalry. He didn't find any suitable horses for the cavalry, but before that, he wasn't even traveling with the the Light Brigade or anything like that. He was told he was already there. Um, so that whole part, like an early on with Nolan and everything, Nolan and Cardigan kind of clashing. That's kind of made up. Now Cardigan would do shit like that. He would arrest officers. He would for bullshit reasons and. Uh, ask officers to or NCOs to spy on officers and they would rather refuse or he would uh, then, as you see, basically not promote them anymore um, or they would spy on him and he would get in trouble for that as they feel they were in demand court marshals and he was big, he was very scandalous Cardigan early on. But they kind of inserted, this movie inserted Nolan into that role to kind of give some clash, but it's BS for what let I me, researched. Let me ask this, did the black mm. bottle thing happen? <laughs> I don't know the black bottle thing happened. Um, actually, shit, it might. Um, shit like that. This would is a gentleman's table. So reasons I mean, he would get only. get up in arrest officers and accost officers for shit like that. Um, okay. And then it would get into the newspapers because nobody really, you know, slow news day. You talk about what Lord Cardigan is harassing his officers in the Eleventh Hussars about. Um, so literally, like. Pure like it's almost like um October seventh, eighteen fifty three. Like like paparazzi kind of <clears throat> Yeah, paparazzi shit. Yeah. Um real I, I got a question and, and this is just because I don't know that much. I didn't know about much about this war night and I did like a quick little like research, like like very, very cliff note version. But Sean, if you could if you could summarize the whole like I guess the Crimean War as a whole, is that is something easy that that could be kind of said? It's a little kind of. not easy. Yeah. Um, basically, France and Britain and um, Piedmont Sardinia is actually there. Um, came to the aid of Turkey because Turkey was fighting Russia. Um, and the Russians had crossed the Danube River down in uh, Romania. Right? They were pressing on to take Constantinople. That was probably their goal. The British and French guessed that was their goal. Um, and the French, uh, Louis Napoleon, the, the Second Empire got into a scrap with Nicholas I over who would be the rightful protector of Christians that went to the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. I just butchered that pronunciation. Basically, Nicholas I wanted to be the true protector of Christians, Orthodox Christians, the true religion, as he thought. 
And Louis Napoleon found a good excuse to bring France back onto the national stage because, remember, they had the Bourbon Restoration. Now we have the Second Empire. He's a Napoleon. He's going to bring the French back on. He wanted to be the true defender of Christians, quote-unquote. Basically, he found a good excuse to declare war on Russia, and so did Britain, to try and stop them from taking Constantinople, stop them from having that warm water port, and basically found a good excuse to start this war. And it was called, you know, the Turkish question or the Eastern question is what this is called as the Ottoman empire declined and the Russian empire gained power and started to press ever further into Europe and further South to take up that Ottoman territory. So with the stately quadrille of power, this was found that France and Britain basically used that excuse to try and beat back Russia and destroy the black sea fleet, which had blown up the Ottoman fleet. They found this reason to go and try and push back the um, Russians. And it started this horror, horrible conflict, which a million people died. Um, it was one of the worst run wars Britain was ever involved in. France, for France, for the most part, too, but they also censored their press. Um, one of the, you know, this is the first time Britain had been to war since Waterloo. Um, so they did not have their best command in them. Is as it's <laughs> kind of come across in the movie very well. Right. This yeah. it was like how not to run an army was the Crimean War. It was absolutely awful. It was. A, bl- a Crimean blunder is usually what it's called. It is. It was a disaster, an unmitigated disaster on their part. Okay. And they eventually won just because they. Okay, that was you know, that eventually. Was, that was my last question. Was technically, I mean, I know I read kind of like who had won technically, but like in mm-hmm. your opinion of studying this conflict of the deep dive, you did. I mean, who who really kind of won in the end, or was it kind of like that, like uh, we won or we won, and then everyone goes home kind of thing. One of the, that kind of thing. Okay. Everyone could they kind of declare victory and leave. Okay. This did do a lot to kind of make the Russian army reform, and it, um, a lot of naval treaties came out of this, and it kind of reshaped. The, it would eventually lead to the reshaping of the Balkans and the rise of those nations down there. When the Oz, the Ottoman Empire crum, uh, crumbled, those nations would rise up and become the Balkan nations that would lead us into World War One, or in the lead up into World War One. That Correct. kind of comes out of Correct. this. Yep. So I know how they use some things liberally for plot devices, like you'd mentioned with Nolan. Like they wanted to show Carter's character and how they trained the cavalrymen, so they just interjected him into the story earlier. Um, one thing I did like, and I was wondering if it was plot device or it was real, was the multiple times where the British officers, the high-ranking officers, were mistaken of like where they were fighting or all that things. Um, like the one point where the guy can't sleep. And the French cavalry are riding, and he goes, "Wake up to arms!" The French are yes, here. that is like, oh. uh, Lord Lord Raglan is who that is, and he mm-hmm. lost his arm at Waterloo. It's called like the last mm-hmm. shot of Waterloo. Like took yep. Lord Raglan's arm, and he would do that. He would be commanded battle, and he goes, "You have to march there against the French." And they'd be like, "Oh, the French are our allies." You mean the Russians? Like, oh yes, of, of course. Like <laughs> really, what wow. little orders he what little orders he would mm-hmm. actually give out because he was a horrible commander. But yes, he would do that. He would call huh. the enemy the French. And yeah, he would make, he made a mistake like that one time. <laughs> the French cavalry rode in, he freaked out that the French were here. They, they show that in the movie. Yeah, that would happen all the time. Interesting, because uh, that's very fascinating that you say this is the first time in what forty years they actually went to yeah. war. And um, so also, there's another point where there's like a French general who's like passing out. And that is Saint like, oh. Arnaud. He did not die right at the Alma. He did die very quickly into the campaign. Okay, I was wondering um, just did that, just did after that, guy... that, like during the start uh, siege of Sevastopol, he he died. And it was replaced yeah. by Pellier, was his name? Um, 
He was punched by another French general after that. I, I'm really glad to find out that that's true because I'm. I thought that was really cool. And you just mm-hmm. don't know sometimes, like with that Nietzsche stuff, if it's like a plot device or if it actually happened. No, that is that and, is real. That is like, there's points that they hit that could do the job, but the mm-hmm. real story is even more horrible. Like it, it's just that's why I think they could have cut some of the the Cardigan Nolan stuff out, cuts that out in the beginning to just have more, more Raglan uh, Cardigan, more of that stuff when they're in the Crimea. Well, that's the thing, you know, I mean, I feel like this movie really does a great job of trying to show how the 1850s was like this, you know, is again, it's a very interesting part of history. People don't really think about this era of like the industrial revolution. It's more like either earlier 1800s or like later. You know, or like the Victorian right, age. During World War One. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, 1910 or like 1814. Like, you know, you really don't get this era for Britain. You just know that Britain was doing really well around the world and that they yeah, had a great empire. The Victorian you era. And, yeah. Um, but it's very interesting. And they, I love how they, they spent a lot of time to try to show that. You know, like where the soldiers come from and all that things kind of stuff. But yeah, they, they did just like spend... blatantly lie during the uh, recruiting. Yeah, right. So much, so much has changed. Um... Yeah. And I love how the guys <laughs> get their money stolen once they join. You know, it's like you just yeah. show it into your clothes, you know, you fucking idiot. Like, yeah, you're like this is what you this is your comrades. Um, but, you know, they did go overboard with it, you know, because, again, they, they were trying to beat, I think, in my opinion, a point home a little bit too much. Yeah. Of the, but it's really cool. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, well, it's kind of well done. There's points I like where the like, officers are talking about, like, are like jokingly making the, the, the new officer like ride a like smack his horse or bucks around yeah. and like mm-hmm. they're joking around. And meanwhile, the men in the back are drilling endlessly to get up and on the horses. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like who, who's taking this seriously? Like, yeah. The guy like the shattered fucking knee and everything. Ugh, I, yeah. I really liked the, although I do think they, they did stay on it a little longer than I was expecting of the movie. Like I, there was a lot more at home drilling, than I thought there would be in the movie, but what I what was in it in terms of the drilling, not the conflict between Nolan and uh, I, I'm sorry I can't remember his name, Cardigan. The, the, the Cardigan. Cardigan yeah. The I really liked like the whole like straw foot and these guys don't know how to read. Mm-hmm. They don't even know yeah. their left and the right mm-hmm. foot and the training of that and then like you know him getting um, I can't remember just just the 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 frustration with Cardigan and then him being like drunk. And like, yes, and he asked him to spy and, on uh, yeah. Nolan. Yeah, and that was, that was something yeah. he would do. Yeah, yep. he, that was something he would ask NCOs to spy on officers and report back to them what he was they were saying about him. And, well, and, and um, you know, the sergeant major, he said, yeah, I've, I've been 20 years since I was a, a private, you know, and I worked my ass off up to this and I can't in good faith, like I, can't, I just can't do it. And then he's like, you're done. Yeah. And it's I like, imagine you. that, 20 <laughs> years of your life and then, one fucking shitty officer comes up to you and says, oh, well, if you don't want to do this really, really unethical and immoral thing, that even at that point, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like at that point, that's that's not good with the uh, aristocracy. That's not kind of good. It's not uh, encouraged and it's not... Ungentlemanly. It's ungentlemanly. Yes, that's the, yes. that's a great word for it. But like, so... Like, Black bottle! But like, he, so he, he, he refuses... And then it's like, oh, you're done. And it's yeah. like, you're never getting anywhere. And then, like, how fucked up is that? Yeah, that's that's the regiment. He controls the regiment. He bought uh, yeah, that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like it was ten thousand pounds a year. Yeah, I it's, think he bought. Yeah, I think he purchased that commission for thirty thousand pounds or something like that. Jesus Christ! That was yeah. the, that was well, the yeah. Year, that, they also the commission in the film yeah. where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, because that that's kind of I think the point with the sergeant major is he was saying. And I've worked my way for 20 years to get up to this position. 
and then in other parts of the film, like they're like, yeah, we, we didn't buy our commission. Yeah, and he worked for it. Exactly. In, and in the Indian Army. like Right, exactly. And so it's like, yeah, so a guy like Cardigan, yeah, he just buys his commission. Yeah, and he's your commanding officer right. that you have to follow. Which is, which, <laughs> like, is, which is just insane to me. I mean, I know it happened. I, I'm not that naive in, in my history to, to know that that didn't happen. But, like, it's always, always when I see it in movies, I'm always so blown away by that. It's like someone who has, who, mm, you know, pinky out, you know, buys a commission and, and fools his way into a command of leadership and commanding guys to their death who may or may not have any knowledge of how to properly do tactics or military Correct. or whatever, other than being a pompous prick and getting the glory. And it's like, I'm always, I know it happened. I'm very well aware it happened, but every time I see it depicted in, in, in movies and in media, I'm always just so blown away that people can let that happen. And it's just, well, I, I mean, I guess that comes. I mean, welcome to most of human history. Right, World right. No, I, yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say that that shit <laughs> up until World War One, that shit was the norm, and during right. World War One. But like, that's what it kind of changed. But that's a different I, subject. I, I, like, I mean, I mean, it's I mean, so you fucked still, up. Right. It's I mean, so I mean, I mean, like you still get that with the modern military. Don't get me wrong. You get incompetent people. Yeah. That's not. That's. But that's not my point. I mean, like, I'm just. I'm. I'm blown away if someone has money and they mm -hmm. want to make a name for themselves. Yep. That they can then jump the line and yep. just have it. And that yeah, is what they're I They're the gentler the gentler class. They're the better right, class. Right. That's... I mean like I mean like I mean it, it just again it's like every single time I see it really depicted in, in media and movies, it always blows me away because for me and my history, like Mike said, like after World War One they kind of did away with that. It's like it's just very interesting. I mean, I know it still happens when, especially if someone's father is a fucking colonel, he's going to push his way up. I know that. But at least he's, at least the gateway of getting in the military is there versus like, you know, just having the money and jumping in. Brian, go ahead. What I think is interesting is that we see it from both sides of the spectrum where, you know, we had it in uh, Fields of Honor where, you know, it was a guy who had a lucky number. He was lucky and he had to sell it due to whatever situation. You know, like the human condition will force you to do whatever. It's either you're seeking glory and, you know, if that means killing men so you want to look good because you can afford to or selling away your life or, or, you know, selling your soul for something because you have to. So it just happens. And luckily we live in times where, you know, it, it's like that, but it's not. Well, <laughs> you know, like right now we do. Who knows? <laughs> every day is the most advanced, you know, human civilization's ever been. So lucky us. So all those graphics were very interesting. Very, very 60s. Uh, <clears throat> that was my... um. That, I love those. I love that that shit. Yeah, it's the made it look like the political cartoons of the time. Like, I mean, yeah, it looked yeah. just like those, like those, you know, um, those nineteenth century engravings in the newspapers that you see and stuff like that. It, it was like perfect. It was like those come to life. I was like, damn, that is awesome. I love. It's those. a good way to cut around not having a, a British fleet to show the uh, to show in the Mediterranean. So they just do that. <laughs> it's like that's a clever way. I thought that too before it cut to the. Before it cut to them on the ship, I was like, "This is a nice little transaction, you know, and a little way of getting past the, you know, all that crap." But at the same time, it's fucking cool, you know. Yeah, it's it's a cute way in how it continues throughout the movie. And what I thought mm -hmm. was interesting is like one thing I really got from this film overall was that you know this was made in the late '60s, and you compare it to a film like Zulu that was made in the early '60s that's still like rule Britannia, you know, trying to rule the waves, you know, kind of very empire centric. Um, it's a much grittier version of that. I think it really goes to show how society had changed in those five to eight years. 
I'm not sure the actual difference between the shoot dates. I think 64 was Zulu, but anyway, it, it's just it's interesting to see that, and also with the graphics as well, the influence of what was going on in the world. In 1968, you know, obviously you have the Vietnam War going on; it's tearing the U.S. apart. But if you think about France, there's all these protests going on. In Europe, there's huge protests against what, what the U.S. is doing in Vietnam. So you have a very interesting influence that's you know being put into this film and in all its graphics, especially yeah. when they had the you know the basically the the friggin' war scene where they're all chanting and it turns into war. I was like, this is 1968. You no, know? dude, I, I thought that too. When, yeah. when those people are protesting, yeah, and then they they like ride their horses through it. I was just like. This is, I mean, the, you, movies are a product of their time, no matter what it's about, you know. And um, yeah, that that right there, I was like, this is totally mirroring the current events when this came out. Um, but it, uh, it was what, also, it was sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike, but it's also very interesting about the frame rate as well. Did you notice mm. in the beginning, it's it's a lot, it's like a fading frame rate, and then when they do the boat thing, that's not fading frame rate. That's like normal animation. I didn't notice that. No. Yeah. So like the whole like the whole beginning, like if you watch that beginning, like the frame rates kind of like it's it's like half the frame rate of a normal animation and it's fading through it. I'll hmm. I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up near the end because I I do want to go through some references that we may well, not talk I about. Mean, but yeah, I can kind of I can kind of think well, when I look back now I can kind of see that how everything is kind of like yeah 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 like like when they're like starting to gear up like the things right and it's all that kind of like fading animation and then you get to like the wartime with talking the boat and that's full animation and I thought that was kind of interesting to I don't know why maybe it's this you know this artistic vision of stuff's gearing up so it's yeah. slow maybe the, the, i don't know until the, the war the sh- cry happens and everything's fast but i don't yeah know. the shot of all the like the million boats going down the flag that was like traditional like animation mm-hmm. that looked like yeah, if i remember book, correctly right. yeah. yeah yeah um but uh but no dude like the, you're right in terms of like you know product of its time and stuff like that and this was coming out right at that time when movies were like you know we're gonna allow hardcore violence we're gonna allow some nudity you know or and stuff like that that's when this was really starting to happen it just to me builds into this narrative of like you know sometime between 1963 and 1967 the world changed forever because it's the difference between the great escape and the dirty dozen difference between zulu and the charge of light brigade you know it's like so much happened in those five years that it just is really interesting to see how it influenced all of culture and and really just yeah it's just really a reflection of 1968 in that time mm-hmm. and uh it's just you know you get you see where kelly's heroes comes from from like you know a movie like this that's made a year or two before in europe as well you know yeah. it's just that that interesting progression D- despite the massive budget that this movie had this movie was a fucking flop uh when it came out and uh i think a part of that has to do with the current events the vietnam war and all that when did it come um, out exactly 68 oh what, what released i was wondering uh, like during tet <laughs> what was the budget mike do you i just saw it? i just, do you have I just okay yeah i got it all pulled up right here yeah. so april of 68 is when it yeah, came out so, and then um while they're oh, right, saying that you know america can't win yeah. in vietnam and let's go talk right. about the british folly in crimea <laughs> so budget was budget was 6.5 million mm-hmm. At the box office, it only got one million. Ooh, yeah, ouch, that's bad. So, not good. Yep. There were other films at the time. I think Waterloo was also a failure, and that's why Kubrick tried to get a Napoleon movie made around this time, and nobody it would never happened because yep. they're like, dude, that doesn't pay. Like we did that, you know. 
they built sets for that, yeah, but uh, but then yeah, the movie never happened. Um, I, I, I always love learning about movies that were never made that were about to be made. Um, so well, that's, that's what I think. Let's get off on a tangent, but I think more filmmakers need to understand that like not everything gets there. Like Seventy percent of projects fall apart, and yeah. that doesn't mean you, it's a failure. Just go to the next one. Way it goes. Yeah, it can fucking happen. Uh, yeah. Apocalypse Now almost didn't happen mm-hmm. twice. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but. Uh, well, it's cool too. Just like I saw, I was recognizing a bunch of actors in this that were in things at the time, and uh, you know, a lot of good actors. I thought everyone was was pretty solid in this, even though if they were like you know, you know, I, I guess it can. It's like with um, with Trevor Howard as a uh, cardigan. It, it's, it seems like borderline, you know, like character, or a caricature almost, maybe even full blown character, where he's like, you know, like that all the time and shit, and. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, I could see, you know, some asshole being like that back then. Well, and the, here's the thing is, like, going on with the acting and stuff is, like, they did a good job because it reminded me how fucking much I hate British aristocracy. Mm, yeah. Like, it, the, the just the fucking, the accent. Mike, the, you're sounding like an American right now. <laughs> it might not. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm an American. <laughs> oh my god. Oh Jesus Christ, you made me. Do that. Okay, so anyway, sorry. No, it's sorry. like it's so. Um, it reminded me how much I hate that because it's so fucking incompetent. It's just it's not merit based at all. Like we were just talking about, like you know, uh, Kurgan bought his commission. Okay, and I know that happened in not just the British military, but like all around, but like. The incompetence and just the sheer just... You guys are fucking cowards. You guys are cowards because we get into the battle scene, which, like, I heard you guys want to talk about, and, like, we'll get into that, but, like, I think this would be a decent segue. It's, like, the fucking cowardice of the actual leaders that were supposed to be, oh, we're here, you know, we're, we're running the battle, we're, we're fucking... We're, we're the ones fighting it, right? Even though it's, like, no, it's not. It's the poor people that you conned at the beginning of the film into fighting it that are fighting it but hey you guys are the ones that are going to take all the credit for it. it's like that aristocracy is just fucking it, it's nauseating to me to know that, that existed for you know and not just them it's everybody and it's been that way for a long time but it's like christ no wonder eventually people were like fuck this this movie does a good job of that. It really shows very the good. Like, a very good job. Very good. And it's not just one character or two. It's all of them. Even Dolan. Yes. It's like, you're, you're an aristocratic fuck. Like, you are a rich bitch. Okay, you've got skills. He was Midland Gentry out of Ireland. Yeah. Like, he, he came from a place with money. Like, oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay. So you've got skills. You're good. You're a good horse rider. You're a okay tactician you're still a cunt <laughs> oh yeah you know what i mean like you're still you're still a pompous cunt and it's like god i just hate that shit and it just like viscerally gets me but that's why i say these guys did a good job because it made me cringe and i'm just like oh yeah it's I'm like, clearly meant to and they, they exactly yeah that. it's it's meant to paint how ridiculous that class is at that time Yes, and, and it, it really they really do do a good job of that, and that was actually one thing I wanted to ask, because that that whole 
that whole like you know richer class thing that that again i think you you mentioned it with you know someone buying a commission the same i think it's the same time frame but they kind of did away with that after world war one right I mean, I know it bleeds into World War II. Not by choice. It just happened to be that way because... Okay. Really, I'll just touch on it really quick and then we'll get back to this. But, like, what happened in World War I is they they had the same model at the beginning. The the British, like, it was an officer that was from a wealthy family, like, upper middle class and above, that would be in charge of these guys, and a huge majority of them got killed. A huge majority of them. So by, like, 1916, like, late... After the Somme, specifically. So, like, mid to late 1916, the enlisted guys were like, oh, these people are not untouchable. They're they're just, as they would call, blokes just like us. And that started to resonate because they're like, oh, these NCOs that we have that are from our class that worked their way up, they're more relatable. These guys are incompetent as shit, and they're running our country. This is This is, again, a very, very fucking abbreviated fucking version of what actually went down. A very similar thing happened in the Russian army in World War the same thing happened in the Russian army in World War One. And those guys mm-hmm. that the the you know the lower class that came up to lead were the prime breeding ground for the Bolsheviks. Exa- there you go. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And in World War One that was kind of the, the that was a really big turning point in just human civilization in general. This is because you had these classes for millennia, right? especially in Europe and in like Russia and stuff like that, that I know, I know Russia's part of Europe. Don't fucking, if you're listening to this, do not fucking say, well, Russia's part of yeah, I get that. All right. But like, um, that was the point where like the lower classes actually had like everyday interaction with the upper class. And they realized, Oh, these people are not better than us. They're actually worse than us. Cause they don't have any fucking viable skills and they suck at life because they've been coddled their entire lives. And that's what started a, a lot of these, like, uh, movements of, like, no, you're not better than us. Prove it. You guys are incompetent. You guys are fucking idiots. And you're humans just like us. And that's that's kind of how that whole thing started in the First World War, especially in the uh, British and, like um, uh, Sean was saying, the Russian military. And it also, to an extent, happened in the German military, even though their culture is a lot different. It's a lot, so you can't really compare it. The French, that also happened with the French. The Austria-Hungarian army that yes. blew apart once it's the oh, Austrians Jesus and Hungarians Christ, are not, yeah. <laughs> are but, not but, our social betters. <laughs> but so, yeah, you get you get, you get get this, like in this film, you get that, that clear divide. It's made very fucking abundantly clear, this divide among people. Even, even the, the higher-up NCOs were still treated like shit by this class of people that had been, you know, thinking that they were better than everyone because they had never money. told no and you do what i want you to do because exactly i'm born better than you yeah. and, and so and, in world and, one that came and, to a head right and and so. even within themselves they're the same they're doing the same thing within themselves as well you know which is which is nuts what, what do you mean by that like officers fighting officers just oh because oh, they're, oh yes. yeah. lord lord because luke and, and lord cardigan hated each other they were brothers-in-law and hated each other which yeah. is one of the lead-ins to the uh how the battle happened but. which they which i think they do a pretty good job depicting that in the film yes they don't. they don't introduce lord card or lord lucan who was the commander of the division of cavalry the cavalry division commander uh for the british forces in crimea so the heavy and the light brigade um they don't introduce him till the war is started um and he bears a lot of he he it's difficult to pin his blame for the charge 
Uh, but he's also a huge piece of shit. Uh, Lord Luke, Lord Lucan was the Lord in uh, the County of Mayo, and he was called the Eviscerator. The what was his nickname? Uh, I want to say the Eviscerator. Uh, basically, he kicked out a bunch of fucking people during the Potato Famine. He was the number one fucking person that kicked people out. Um, tried to close down the workshops that were feeding the poor people that the, the Irish could actually feed themselves. He wanted to shut all the workshops down that were run by the government because he wouldn't. Um, he didn't want to pay. He didn't want to make, pay paupers to pay priests. So he basically uh-huh. mass evicted people out of the County of Mayo. Um, thousands of people died, starved to death because of him. Um, and he was, yeah, he, he was a piece of shit. <laughs> what blame he has for the, um, charge is he's not redeemed. He's not a redeemable person. Did, did Lord, did Lord Cardigan have a, a nickname at the end of this other than Black Bottle? Not that I know of. Okay. Not, 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 I know of, not what, I know what was his life? Was. What was Lord his life? Lord Lookon is the name you probably heard. That was Maybe the uh, the nickname. That was for Lord Lucan from the Battle of the Alma, where he literally followed orders, which were to sit still, because Lord Raglan didn't want the cavalry to ride off and get killed, because that was a Wellington thing. He was literally in the shadow of Wellington, which is that statue they're kind of wheeling around. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was literally at, at the Battle of the Alma when they... The, you know, the French had kind of been totally written out of this, and so of the Turks, but the French kind of climbed this, the cliffs of the Alma on the on the left flank where St. Arnaud were, uh, talks about how they're going to go. The French will go scale the cliffs to the left, and the British will knock on the door. The British assaulted up those cliffs twice and were repulsed because Lord Raglan's orders were just to be like, the infantry will advance. That Those were his orders, and they just left up to the superiors to figure out, you know, his superiors to figure out what to do. Um, as the French... Knocked the bird, uh, knocked the started to take the Russian positions on the left of the Battle of the Alma, and the British finally took the great redoubt, the front, uh, the front redoubt you see in the film. As they took that and started to push the Russians back, the Russians broke and started to flee. That would have been the perfect time for the light brigade to charge and sure. charge after them, and that's what they're literally supposed to do is to, to cut down the infantry oh, as yeah. they run away. Yep. And Lord Dragon said, No, we don't do that, have them escort the guns, the guns in between, and the heavy light brigade on the, both sides. So Everybody who's knows anything about warfare, which is most of the infantry, saw that the the cavalry just kind of sat there, let the Russian army get away to Sevastopol, and he named earned the nickname Lord Lookon. Um, Lord Cardigan d- didn't have a nickname; he was actually left at uh, shortly after the battle during the winter um, after the charge of the Light Brigade. He wasn't around for much longer. Neither was Lord Lucan, because the cavalry was also gone. But, and and by and by not long not there long meaning like they he literally went back to England or did he like... oh yeah he had a private yacht he <laughs> he came on a private yacht Lord Cardigan okay Lord Lucan actually slept he was actually in the camp with the cavalry Lord Cardigan had rheumatitis or something with his his lungs he had to sleep on his private yacht and if you ever seen a photo of the Balaclava Harbor it is packed it is a tiny little harbor and it is full of fucking ships and his yacht was on like the end so all these supply ships had to like navigate around his fucking yacht to get in uh anytime and he was like two miles away from the cavalry camp so anytime any report had to happen they had to ride two fucking miles to go to to talk to lord cardigan which is why in the film when you see they're trying to force him into his britches to get him out to the battle that happened he, he was on his private they yacht showed him on he his yeah yeah. They, they, yeah, he says that in the movie, like you know, such, you know, he wants you to come onto his private yacht tonight. Yes, you that's she's uh, like, ooh, eighteen inches too close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that happened. The tenth thing happened. 
Oh, well, they kept them. Oh, my God. I thought I had fucking shitty leadership in the military. Yeah. Fuck. I, the, I the, mean, the, yeah. the tents that, that happened, Lord Cardigan made him put the tents. Lord Lucan made him redo it. Lord Cardigan made him redo it. Iraq is like Toys R Us compared to Crimea. No. It's just like, it's so fucking. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad. It's, it's really bad. So frustrating. <laughs> like, it's like that happened. That so that woman is also Fanny Duberly. Du Duberly. What a name. I, what a name. Fanny she, Duberly. She kept a diary. She was with uh her officer husband who was in the cavalry. I believe he was the paymaster. Um, who they yeah, really shit yeah. on in this movie. She did not have an affair with Lord Cardigan. He had affairs with other officers' wives, but not her. She was actually, tw- yeah, she was 24 at the time. And that's how we know a lot of this stuff with the camp. And the yeah, She hated she Lord Cardigan. That's how we know yeah. a lot of what went on. She had a diary. You see her writing it at one point in the movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we have that diary today. That's how we kind of get her, get her uh, perspective on things. I, I, I could totally see the... The, the the tents are too close. The tents are too far. It never apart. happens today. They never do that. Today. No, never, never. Doesn't happen in fucking Conneaut every fucking goddamn time. But you know, is that why you have barbed wire around your you know tents? It's to keep the drunks out like you, man. That's what it does. It wasn't the drunks out. Hey, listen, listen that person guy, may or may not have been involved in our tent. Right, we yeah. can't confirm or deny. That, that was um the guy at De Rosa, Smith, Smith. We'll say yes. Smith. We we'll say Smith. Smith, Smith came up to me. He's like, fell into your barbed wire, fake barbed wire takeover outside your camp. He's like, he's like, hey, he's like, hey, person- I fell into your barbed wire, and I'm like, oh, you're that guy. He's like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this person who happens to get whenever we hang out happens to uh, you know end up drunk under things. So. Right in Ohio, of all places. <laughs> as long as it's not under a train derailment, Mr. Smith, if you're listening. But anyway, tell, tell me about uh, Ohio. <laughs> like before we really jump into the battle and I, we'll get to the imdb and everything um you know even though we've really alluded to like the campaigns leading up to sevastopol um again the 1850s is very interesting because you know really it wasn't until the american civil war where they realized that using modern weapons and napoleonic tactics like are really bad when you have rifles that are accurate out to like 800 to a thousand yards you know not realistically but at very long ranges compared to when these tactics were developed um, and you really get a taste of that and something they did really allude to in this, you know, this reality was the death of cavalry in a way and the inability uh, that cavalry really brings, you know, like the ending, how they have all the mutilated horses. It was very interesting. And that was, you know, very stark. And also even on the, the voyage over, I think that was the thing that caught me the most was they the, had rough seas and the horses died. They're pushing the horses off. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's that, that happened in calamity Bay. Um, they basically these horses, these poor horses. They had never one day had enough fodder. The commissariat supply was so bad. Horses were dying left and right. They were constantly exhausted and underweight and raggedy. They just could not keep anybody supplied. And the siege festival. It was awful, as I keep saying. But it, it's if you the what it's displayed in the movie, it's like ten times as bad in real life. <laughs> The condition of the horses. It was ten times bad. Jolly good then, yes. <laughs> yes. And 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 that that's something that I think I, I kind of want to counter what Brian said just a little bit is that Brian, I I do agree. I do think this is the start of the end of Calvary. I don't think Cal, as 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 Mike's cringing every time I say the word. Fucking god, yeah. <laughs> like all of you. Cal- you well, just fucking Calvary. Ca- Calvary to me, <clears throat> I feel like ends in World War One officially with well, the machine gun. That's yeah. It. No, 
Don't. Do you know when the the official no i agree with you that's what i should have restated it as okay. yes it's okay. really the, the end i think of that it's lineage i think it's the start back. and the very yeah. big decline well, mutilated horses from grape shot you know like that's compared to you know like the roman cavalry and how really far back lineage of, of cavalry goes but the real death of cavalry is in baton in 1942 when the u.s cavalrymen are ordered to eat their horses there were some cavalry charges on baton in the philippines in the early part of 1942 um, before they really pulled back into Bataan, the perimeter and stuff. But that was really the death of the cavalry, if we're going to be honest, was when mm-hmm. the, the men were ordered to eat their horses. You know, 1942. And that's, what, 90 years after this? So, yes, it really is the beginning of that. And there also was cavalry, you know, the Civil War and everything, Jeb Stewart and, and, and whatever. There's very famous times that happened in things. Um, even in, what do you call it, um, Fields of Honor, there's cavalry and stuff. So Waterloo, well, that's really – regardless, this is really the end you know, this is modern technology, rifling, grape shot is, is becoming factors. And they keep coming back to that, where, like, they're referring to Waterloo and things where, you know, whatever, that's a little bit more traditional of the day of battle and stuff. Now you have trenches. Now you have people that are tired all the time because they were in the trenches all night, you know, and you can't react now. Like, they had that one scene with the general. You know, Which it's war- that warfare. Yeah, like, warfare is, is not becoming a singular event or we're at Yorktown, or we're at Lexington, or we're at Concord. No, it's becoming a 24-7 thing because it's now modernized, you know? And because of that, you, people are overworked, they can't react enough, and different things can get pushed um, that traditionally, you know, wouldn't be factors. <laughs> so. Oh, no. <sighs> okay. Eh. Well, Cavalry? So. Is that the way I'm supposed to say it? I mean... Yeah, it's cavalry. Okay, so uh, when I see it, I can say it. But if you told me to recall it, I want to say cavalry. Right, which but is the I second get definition that I just cavalry. Said. I get it. Cavalry. 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 It's not the air cal. It's the air cav. Right. 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 So cav cavalry. 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 Okay. All right, we're gonna do this again next episode because I think it's been three episodes it, in a it's, row. It's never gonna end, but I just yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna keep posting these two fucking. That's fine. To you guys. That's fine. Keep doing it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I'm down. I'm down to learn. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not dead set in my ways. I'm not a New Englander. You know, it's fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just yeah. Okay. Stubborn to the end. Yeah, it's all good. It's it's. I mean, it's not all good, but it's. <laughs> it's one of those Nietzsche things. Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche, you dumb Nietzsche. fuck. So, Sean, would, is it correct yeah. that uh, they actually did go into battle at a half trot like that? Yes. Like how correct is it? Yes. That's that's When they get to the charge, they did go at a half trot. Because um, you don't immediately start to gallop. They were about a mile away. Your horse would have been tired, tired out by the time it got to the end. Um, do we want to dive into that? About the, yeah, the balaclava? And, uh, so... With Balaclava, Balaclava is the harbor supply in Sevastopol. It was about five miles away, give or take. Um, this was the smaller bay. The French had another bay that was a little closer to Sevastopol. So this was the main base supplying the British Army to the south of Sevastopol. Um, so the Russians, they never fully encircled Sevastopol. After the Battle of Alma, they could have basically marched into the town. There were no real defenses, but... Uh, Burgoyne, who was the chief of engineers for the British Army there, convinced Lord Raglan that you have to take a city with heavy guns, you have to do it by the book. Uh, if you know 
if you heard the name Burgoyne before, it is Burgoyne of Gentleman Johnny of Saratoga fame, another British general involved with a military disaster. Um, so they march to the south of Sevastopol to this lawn route, give the defenders basically enough time to fortify Sevastopol, sink the Black Sea fleet in the harbor so the British can't even steam into the harbor, which is kind of what the whole point was to destroy the Black Sea fleet and take Sevastopol. Well, they sunk the fleet so they couldn't get into the harbor. Great job. Um, and they spend <laughs> weeks, weeks trying to get the guns up to get the harbor set. Three weeks they spend till the first, till the trenches are really set and put around Sevastopol. And they didn't, they never even closed it off in the north. The Russian could sail through the Sea of Azov to supply it from the north. It wasn't until the whole next year they were finally able to cut off Sevastopol. Um, so that siege is going on. And in south you have Balaclava, um, the Balaclava Harbor that is defended by these redoubts, which are depicted in the film. They are manned by British troops in the film. They were actually manned by Turkish troops. Um, the Turkish army has been totally cut out of this movie. Um, there was a huge Turkish contingent. There was about 900 Turks defending these redoubts, and they were attacked by an army, a Russian army of 30,000 men. Um, and they held out for two hours before they finally were forced to retreat. And once these Turks retreated, that's when... Lord Raglan shows up, Lord Cardigan shows up, and all and the uh, Fenton, the uh, photographer and uh, war correspondent show up too. And all they see is the Turks retreating, going through the cavalry camp, doing a little looting as they retreat. Um, and so now this huge Russian army is attacking into Balaclava. This is where then the 93rd Highlanders uh, form their thin red line and beat back the Russian cavalry, stop the Russian cavalry in its tracks as they try to march into, they try to ride into the harbor. And then they are also attacked by the Heavy Brigade, which are not in this movie. None of that is in this movie. Um, Heavy Brigade, you briefly see it when Lord Lucan gets one of the orders from Lord Raglan and they are the cavalry with the uh, bobby hats on. That is the Heavy Brigade. The Heavy Brigade had already seen action. They had charged into a huge group of Russian Cossacks who were their cavalry. They had a lot of it, but they weren't very well trained. Um, and they were able to beat back the Cossacks. Is, is so that why now, they were kind of like going, what the fuck at that point? They were like, yes. So yeah. now you have the instance of the Light Brigade. The other brigade, the Heavy Brigade, has gone and done a cavalry charge and seen action. So now you have the Light Brigade sitting at the end of this valley in a really good position as the Russian army is trying to march down this valley and it has taken the posts around to the left and the right of the valley, have taken those redoubts, the captured redoubts on the south side. So if you were looking at down the valley, they would be to your right. They're on the left and the right in the captured redoubts. And the main Russian army is a mile down this valley. So Light Brigade is at the end of this valley in a pretty good spot where they said the cavalry are to take ground where it stands. That was one of Lord Lucan's... Um, Lord Raglan's orders, or there's a lot of lords. I gotta fucking keep them straight. Yeah, um, <laughs> that tough, was man. one of the, one of the vague orders that Lord Raglan had given to Lord Lucan. So we put them at the end of the valley, where they were actually in a good position, where none of the Russian forces could really advance quickly, unless because they would be threatened by the Light Brigade. So the Heavy Brigade comes around and also joins the Light Brigade. Now they're, they're there. So then. As Lord Ragland is looking on, he sees what is supposedly the guns of the redoubts being dragged away. And because uh, he was a student of Wellington, Wellington had never lost a gun. Um, he wanted those guns retaken. So he sends an order, and I will pull up the order so you can read it. The order that he says in the movie is exactly how it was written down. And it was written down in this sw swooping script of... Uh, General Airy, who actually wrote down the order, um, 
and that order is still preserved. You can actually still see it. It is in one of the museums. Um, I will try to find a photo to post it for you guys, too. So he gets this order to move forward, attack the infantry immediately. There's French, you know, one, oh, sorry, one of the first orders comes in that you are to move forward. There's infantry to your left stopped the guns being taken away which there's no infantry to the left. Uh, he gets confused about that because the infantry, as you saw, Nolan was trying to get that guy out of the camp to more move towards Balaclava. That actually happened. The general said, no, I've been in the trenches. I'm going to have breakfast. Um, that was the infantry he thought was coming down from Sevastopol to, the, to be on the left. Mm -hmm. Wasn't happening. So now he receives this order that you have to attack immediately. And it is given to Captain Nolan, who was the aide-de-camp and uh, part of Ragland's staff. Now, Nolan, had he actually, he was, as I said earlier, he was in the 15th Flight Dragoons. He was not in the Hussars. He had actually served in the Austrian army for a brief period, had observed other armies. He had this idea of cavalry is supposed to act. It is supposed to fight wherever it comes. It can even break infantry squares if you're quick enough and dashing enough. He had all these fancy ideas about what cavalry could do. Um, and Lord Lugan and Lord Cardigan are kind of ducks. They just... You know, they'll do whatever they'll do whatever they're ordered to. They kind of don't know any better. And Lord Raglan is up about 500 feet above them. He's up on that giant hill where he could see the whole valley. He could see what's going on. But Lord Lucan is all the way at the bottom with the light brigade. They can't see anything. They can't see over the hills. So Nolan is now getting very impatient. He wants the light brigade to act. Lord Lucan is just sitting there, not doing anything. Now he has an order to attack immediately to, re to stop the guns being carried away. He rides down with that order, and what he says to Lord Lucan, that will you carry out the order immediately? Will you do this? Will you carry out Lord Raglan's orders to attack? That is actually what he said. So, now Lord Lucan has an aide-de-camp in front of him telling that Lord uh, Raglan wanted him to attack immediately, right now, to the front. That is, if... An aide camp comes up and gives you an order. It's supposed to be as if the general himself was sitting in front of you, given the order. So now he has the order to attack. When he asked Nolan where, that's the famous quote, there are your enemy, there are your guns, you know, down the valley. And he kind of just gestures down the valley. The valley that, Luke, that Lord Lucan can see is straight ahead. Attack forward immediately. It's right down the valley. Not to the right over the hill where the guns are being carried away. They're over the guns he wanted, Lord Raglan wanted them to attack, are over a hill to the right. He can't see them. So Lord Raglan gives this super vague order that is he can't see what he's supposed to attack. He doesn't put himself in the foot, you know, in the footsteps of Lord Lucan on the bottom. He doesn't know what he's supposed to attack. He's just given this vague order that now this aide de camp has just pointed to where he's supposed to attack to go down the valley. So as the Light Brigade is sitting there, he goes and joins the 15th Light Dragoons, and Lord Lucan has the order to attack down immediately, so he orders Lord Cardigan to go forward. Um, the Heavy Brigade is also out of this film, but they start forward at the slow trot. Lord Cardigan sets the pace, Lord and uh, Nolan is off at the 15th Light Dragoons, who were in the front. It was not the Zars in the front, it was the Light Dragoons, which is actually displayed in the movie. As you see, they have the Dragoon hat on. Um... So as they go down, they start to get down the valley. This all happens in about 20 minutes. So as they go down, it is seen from the top that Nolan starts to ride forward to the front. Now, this whole thing in the movie where he's shouting, Ron Way, Ron Way, Ver Wright. There's a big debate whether or not he even said anything. He had plenty of time to tell Lord Cardigan when he was up front 
with him and Cardigan and Lucan to tell them where to go. He didn't. Now he starts to ride forward. He was off with the 15th Slate Dragoons with his friend, that officer that he sees. That was his friend. Um, he was with him. He had plenty of time to tell, talk to him about what they were about to do, which he probably did, that they were going down the valley. So as he rides forward and that officer says, no, no, Nolan, that won't do. We have a long way to go. That part is cut out of the movie, but that was what he said. So obviously he thought that officer that was right next to Nolan thought we're going down the valley towards, you know, towards those Russian guns. They're going to attack artillery from the front. Yeah. So massive clusterfuck from the right and the left. Now, as he goes forward, there's seen that he was going forward. He didn't shout anything. There's a big debate whether or not he was that shell exploded whether it killed him and that made his horse veer off and jerk to the right as he was in his death spasms or whether he tried to go forward as just because he wanted to get national here or if he was trying to redirect the brigade. There's a bit of controversy about that. But the fact of the matter is the only person who had heard Lord Raglan's orders had seen the top of the battlefield from the from where they were sitting, Lord Raglan was sitting, died in the first shell. He was killed immediately. He was the first person to die. That happened. It basically, his chest split open and he drove across the brigade, um, which pissed off Lord Cardigan because he didn't realize he was dead. He thought he had tried to rivet in front of him. So as they ride down, they start to gain speed. Lord Cardigan does set the pace. He is in the front the whole time. As they start to take casualties, they finally reach the guns. They are blasted by, it is, I have my notes here, 20 battalions of infantry and 50 artillery guns as they ride into the valley. Jesus Christ. There was... 630 men as they rode down. It lasted about 35 minutes. Um, as they hit the guns, Lord Cardigan is in front. He is the first one to reach the guns, supposedly. It's all smoke and you can't see anything. You know, Nobody could see anything. They saw Lord Cardigan go in with the brigade. He was at the front. Then they just kind of see him come back out. He just rides slowly back out. All he did was he got the brigade to the objective and then he turned around and rode back. And he wasn't hit. He just, you know, he was an idiot. He didn't know what to do. He got there, and I got my brigade back. I'm going to ride back now. I've done my job and rode back. So his brigade is now taking so many casualties. Now they're attacking the Russian gunners that are there. And Lord Cardigan just leaves. So he's, and, not, so he's not even fighting. He's just... Not even there. Nope. He got there. He maybe swiped at a gunner, and then he turned around and said, done my job. I've done. <laughs> and he rode back. And he wasn't hit. He drove. He yeah. rode through all Fuck that it. fire, and he wasn't hit. <laughs> like, it's hysterical. Yep. And so they ride through, and as they're done, as they're there, they're then attacked by that huge group of Cossacks come in, mm-hmm. like a, a brigade of Cossacks come and attack them, and they are forced to retreat to try and then drive back through all that fire. The only reason they really got out was because the French Castillas de Afrique, was a cavalry unit, they attacked to the left. They realized what was happening, and they finally came to their brigades, to the light brigade's help, and they had cleared off the left hill. And that's the only reason they were able to get back. Anyone was able to get back, because they were still being fired at from what Russian guns yeah, they, were they left on the fucked. right in the redoubts. Been, yeah, in the yeah. redoubts they were there, and they were still being attacked from the front with the, Cal- the Cossacks now. Lord Lucan was back with the heavy brigade. They also charged forward. Lord Lucan was wounded in the leg, and he kept the heavy brigade back because he realized what was about to happen. He realized what was going on. <laughs> and the only thing that the Cossacks could have just decimated the light brigade, they stopped because the heavy brigade was there. And in 35 minutes, they lost 362 Jesus. horses. 110 were KIA. 196 were wounded in action, and 57 were taken prisoner. Jesus about 360 minutes. Christ! Were annihilated in 35 minutes. 
So those are numbers that you was, get from modern warfare back like, then. Yeah. That's 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 like a an embarrassing fucking defeat. Yeah, it was awful. And immediately after that, the blame game starts going around. Yeah, of course. Um, of who it wasn't where they were in the field. It shows them where they start debating who who did what, what happened. Yeah, you've lost the light brigade. Oh, Ari, you've lost the light brigade. Like that, <laughs> not not in the field of all the dead. You kind of get the point that they, you know, they're there. They don't care about the men that are dying and bleeding around yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. And immediately, Lord Carden goes, "It was no trick of mine." You know, it's like by some trick, but it wasn't a fault of mine. That's what he said. He tried to immediately pass the blame, um, which he he then tried to do after this because. A bunch of people saw him ride into the smoke and then turn around and ride back. He was the first of the guns, but all the people saw was the brigade going in the smoke and then Lord Cardigan coming back alone. So it started this huge controversy that he never even made it to the guns, which he defended to the end of his life. He actually had a couple defamation lawsuits that he had made it to the guns. But it just made people realize that this guy doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He just wants to prove that he made it to the guns. He doesn't care about the many lost. He wants to prove that he made it to the guns. <laughs> But, wow, yeah, <laughs> it's it's something. But yeah. you know, there's a big debate. Did the charge actually do something? Did it actually stop the guns from being carried away? I, you know, no. At the end of the day, some oh, of those yeah, guns no, were taken it's... away. The, supposedly, they were still bopping around during the Russian uh, Revolution. Some war correspondents could, found some of them in Sevastopol. <laughs> um, it was totally. It was a total. It was a total blunder, and they wiped out a whole brigade of of uh, cavalry. Now, in 35 minutes. I, I, that's insane, dude. And yeah. I know, I don't believe it was from this battle, or I could be mistaken, but the Victoria Cross actually has its lineage to the Crimean War. And all the Victorian crosses are made from the same hunk of steel from a Russian captured gun from the Crimean War. And I forget if it was from Sevastopol or if it was from this battle, but it's kind of interesting. I, I, it's probably, I think it's from Sevastopol. I remember this. Uh... Yep, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's a gun from Sevastopol. They're all Russian, you know. They all have date back to there, which is insane, yeah. and uh, that's crazy that some of the things still. Yeah, there's, there's as the light brigade was sitting there, uh, one of the one of the units, I believe it was one of the Hussar units, um, ordered their guys not to smoke, and somebody was accused of still smoking, and they arrested him basically on the spot. This was one of the NCOs. His officer had the guy arrested, so they confiscated his carbine, his saber, and all the weapons he had. But they didn't tell him to get out of line. He was just arrested there. Um, so he just decided, well, I'm not going to leave because this is the only cavalry charge I'll likely to see. And he just rode in with no weapons. <laughs> there was also a guy that came right from the camp. He realized that you know something's going to happen. The heavy brigade's been in action. He rode to go to the light brigade. He was the light brigade's butcher. And he rode into battle with his butcher's apron and his axe. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. We came that's like, that's whatever like you fucking, got, man. That's, yeah. like, that's like fucking Rohirrim status. Yeah, right? so <laughs> he rode it with like an already bloodied apron and, and a hatchet. He came up <laughs> in one of the documentaries and he talked about braining a Russian gunner with his axe. Yeah, uh, yeah, or, yeah or, that that was true. Was really fucking Dude, cool. I would or fucking surrender cool, in a heartbeat if a bearded bearded fucking butcher. It's like we were in. talking about when the last time you know cavalry was used. When's the last time a battle axe was used? Well, that's up there. You know, that's that's pretty it's recent. Like, you know, it, it's like, like it's like that 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 they had that that Syrian in um what are you talking about Centurion. <laughs> Oh, had, yeah. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, essentially that. that. Yeah, that's uh, what that, I mean, yeah. That is the order that was given. Oh, cool. The link I just posted. It still exists. Lord, you know, he had oh, wow. a, Lord Lucan got that order, and he basically realized this, a disaster is coming, and he ordered one of the officers to preserve the order 
and ride back with it. So when Lord Lucan, he eventually blamed, you know, Lord Raglan blamed Lord Lucan uh, that he had mis- un- misinterpreted his order. Oh, course, he didn't yeah. know what he was doing. Um, he had the order. So Lord Lucan had the order. Nobody in headquarters had bothered to keep a copy of it. So that was very damning for Lord Raglan that he didn't have any evidence, you know, Nobody had any evidence, and Lord Lucan also went through this whole thing where he started fighting Lord Raglan, who was to blame, because Raglan made sure his story got told to the official, to the war department before anyone else's did. Um, so Lord Lucan also went through a whole fight of whose fault it was. The blame ultimately lies with Lord Raglan, Nolan, and Lord Lucan himself, who didn't try to confirm the order, because it said immediate, didn't try to confirm the order, and didn't use his fucking brain to try and figure something else out. Um, and Nolan, obviously, he was dead. It's very easy to blame him. He probably does bl- bear most of the responsibility as he, you know, pointed where they were supposed to go, had the order, had heard what Lord Raglan said, could see. He kind of bears the most responsibility, and he's dead. What a bonus. Um, yeah. It started this, <laughs> yeah, but with Lord Lucan, it started this huge fight. Eventually, he was recalled. He gave a speech in the Lord of... Uh, uh, House of Lords and Parliament trying to clear his name, um, which eventually he did. He did get promoted up in the British Army. Mm, you know, of course. You know, not great news if you're a tenant, an Irish tenant on his lands, but, you know, it, it's, you know, nobody, nobody cared about the good men who died. They cared about not having the blame laid on them. Well, again, that's why it's, this is a very interesting war and age because it's like so many, it's so much of the old world clashing with the new world you know you have all this new technology but you have all these antiquated ways in the blame game and all this you know shit happening like even you had mentioned that the some of the generals had made sure to get their record you know with the official correspondence or whatever beforehand before other people did to you know protect their legacies and stuff Mm -hmm. um something you see that with the war correspondence there were these war correspondents they actually have one of them in, in the film um, you know, he's the guy with the sideburns, one of the guys with the sideburns. What am I saying? But, um, <laughs> yeah, right. But he, you know, he had all these dispatches he would send up from Crimea, and they'd always make sure to send them out a week after the official word got back to England. So, like, you know, it was free press, but it was like, well, once the official narrative gets back home, then you're in, you know, the trench reporting will get there and stuff. Yes. So it's, again, it's this interesting, like, well, these new technologies and this new age, the Victorian era and stuff, but the old ways are still in control. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's something we see until even um, Sergeant York, if you really think about it. Generals trying to protect their reputation and, and rank and stuff and saying, oh, well, we can use this as a cover up for that. Or, you know, where can you place the blame where it doesn't touch you? So. It, gets, it gets it gets less and less after the First World War, but it still happens. But it's not as just blatant and frequent and rampant as it had been. Um, it's harder to, you know, cause there's more, there, there were more fail safes put in after the first world war of like, okay, well, you know, this, this, and this, and yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent, but like, yeah, it's, it, in this film, it, like they, they, they touched on it at the very end of like, yeah, the blame game starts, but it's like, I mean, to kind of like empathize, not sympathize, but empathize with these guys is like. Well, that's their entire life. That's all they have to live for. And so they're going to preserve that to the best of their ability. Like, if I look bad and this gets out, I'm fucked. They don't care if they do that to somebody else, but it's like, it's all like the survival shit. And 
It's like fucking. It doesn't justify it, but like it explains it. There's a lot just, of there's a lot of extreme scapegoating. I oh think. Christ! Yeah. It's just like everyone well, saves their ass and everyone. Right. There's another fights each other. Another film that we'll cover shortly. A Boer War film. It's probably the only Boer War film we'll be able to cover. It's one of the better ones. It's called Breaker Barant, and it's the same story. So basically, the British needed a scapegoat for their very harsh tactics against the Boers in concentration camps and stuff. So they chose a bunch of Australian officers to, you know, hang for, hey, you did this, even though you're ordered to. And guess what? The guy that ordered them to is dead. So, oh, you're following, you know, his implied orders before he was shot by a Boer? Well, you're a commando now, and you're going to be hung for it. So, you know, it's it's unfortunately what happens. But it's funny that that was, you know, what, 45 years after the fact. <laughs> and, uh, you know... The same shit's still happening. But one other neat thing, uh, before I forget it, is that we touched on this before with, like, how certain things are remembered in the modern era. Like, when we talked about Zulu, you know, um, the sergeant major that was there was actually recorded um, on the BBC in the 30s of what he went through. And they broadcast it. And unfortunately, the broadcast doesn't exist, but the transcribe still does. So, you know, you have a really eyewitness account of a battle from the 1870s. Well, that was still true... Um, for other wars, and they actually have the one of the original buglers um, in the 1930s went on BBC, and he recorded the bugle call that he gave when to the charge light brigade in this battle. And so it's just kind of crazy to think that you know, 80 years after, the, or how many is that? It's, yeah, 80 years after the fact, you know, there's a recording of the guy doing something he did in 1850s, and we really can't push it further back. You know, there are some guys that talk about I think the Mexican American wars. And the recordings 1840s, of the 40s and stuff, yeah. but we really yep. don't we really don't have a lot of modern recordings like first hand eyewitness accounts of that. But this like, is one like, of those early like ones we don't have anything find. from like eighteen twelve, unfortunately. You know? nope. No, yeah. because you know, the first photographs are in the eighteen twenties. Yep. And you you really had to have lived into the eighteen nineties or you know, eighteen um, eight late eighties to like have any recordings at all, and that was so early technology. But there it's is cool. w- there's one famous photo from the Crimean War of the, like this hillside, and it's just like a sea of cannonballs. It looks so. Yeah, it's interesting. Photography was still a wet photography at that time. There was a little bit of dry photography, but everything was done on glass plates, and it was you had to be like a scientist in a way. And it's a lot that goes into it, but a lot of the photography was actually lost. There was one very famous French guy that showed up there like really early on. He took over 350 photos for magazines, and they were all lost. Um, there's only a few hundred of like the English photographers that went over there and stuff that you really have the photos from, but you needed a whole laboratory. You needed a whole, like, it was a very long process and they could really only take photos of dead bodies. And that's why you see kind of, again, like a glimpse of the civil war because it was the same way, you know, you'd have just glimpses of before a battle preparing for it. And then after the fact, because you really couldn't take battlefield shots. And that's like when we had mentioned earlier, um, and the the our, uh, what is it the Franco-Prussian War film, um, the original photos that were taken at the Battle of Siet or what is it um, Sedan in 1870, you know they were revolutionary because he was using a, a dry type of photography that you could actually do that on the spot. So it's just funny how you know they did the best they could for the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of watercolor paintings of this that officers yeah. did who were there leo tolstoy was one of them he in the russian lines really? uh, he was in the siege of sevastopol yep he did by his he did a lot of uh correspondent there's a lot of watercolors uh drawings by him of the russian uh siege of sevastopol from the russian side yep there was one that sh- um he was a watercolor guy who was an officer 
and it was from the documentary I was watching, and I unfortunately catch the name, but he said that uh, one of the water coasters did was all these wounded Russians, and one guy was missing an arm, and he was riding through. It was the day after a battle or something, and this Russian guy like ran up to him and was like pointing at his arm, was pointing at him, and he was like, "Oh, I cut his, I cut this guy's arm off," mm. and like they, he like grabbed his hand, and this guy like burst into tears. They had like a moment or something, and then he said in his whatever the diary, he was like, "If I had all the gold in the world to give this man, I would give it to him. Like you know, I owe him everything." Like yesterday we were enemies, but now we're brothers, or we're linked in this way. But it's just very interesting to think about that, you know. And you don't really get that in modern war or anything, you know. I mean, yep. it's just sign of the times, <laughs> you know. Um, I was um, well, you guys were talking. I did a deep dive on the animation, and uh, funny enough, it's it's um, his name's um, Richard Williams, and he's an animator or he was an animator in England for the most part, but he did the pink Panther titles. Really? Oh, interesting. Like, huh. And I was like, it was bothering me. Cause as you guys were talking, I'm like, I have seen this animation before and I don't know where. And then I clicked on his name and then I clicked on stuff and I was looking down books and I had his book for my animation school. <laughs> and I was like, that's fucking yep. why it looks so that familiar. That lion looks like the Pink Panther. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yep. a lot of, uh, I can totally see the Pink Panther and a lot of stylistic title uh, animations from the 60s and the 70s, specifically English films. And then also everything within my animation book that I just taught, I just gave away to Goodwill last week uh, after cleaning up my room. <laughs> <laughs> that about one on Amazon? You guys were talking <laughs> earlier when I was uh, incapacitated for a second. Um, but yeah, the animation itself, like, like I think you guys said, it's like, it's like cartoons of that time, like just like the the static, like the, you know, something put in the newspaper, like a political news cartoon. propaganda. But it's yeah. animated, yeah. and it's like yeah. it was fucking. I actually, I usually hate that shit to be honest, but I think it was really cool the way they did that because it's like. It kind of brings it to life, the animation itself, like the cartoons themselves. It brings it to life, and it's like they had no real way of doing that at that time, besides it's, a static, a static, you know, cartoon. Yeah, it, and it's it's all drawn in the in the in the in the propaganda like yes. uh, drawings and illustrations of yep. the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds. I mean, you still see that style mm-hmm. portrayed mainly in Europe, uh, even in the states, but mainly in Europe. You see in records. Uh, like around World War One, you see that kind of big-headed kind of you know yeah the character uh, well, technique yeah but it's yeah, like, the techniques yeah, yeah. as well um, yeah. like it's 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 it's, it's in their their engravings and um, their uh, watercolor is the mm-hmm. and they're they're not like um, shaded or anything like that it's just solid color that they drop into it and that's how yeah. they used to do it back then and um, yeah like I say it looks like it, it I mean if you showed me just like a screenshot of that of any frame from that I would believe that that is like that is from a newspaper from, you know, 1850 something. Exactly, you know? yeah. And it's like, so that that was actually done very tastefully, I thought. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. And usually, I can, like I said, I can't stand that shit. But it actually, I think it added a lot. Because it, it showed, like, okay, in one aspect, it showed kind of the process. But it also saved the production a shitload of time and money by going, okay, well, they're going down. They're going to sail across here. They're going to go through the Strait of Gibraltar. And, you know, they're going to go to the Dardanelles, basically, which they would, you know, 70 years later, or whatever, 60 years later. I don't remember. Um, I'm not good at math. And um, by the way, Sean, I like your pussy. 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> she loves she loves to uh, get in the shot. Yeah, it's a very pretty pussy. So, um, is is cat? My I dad. saved that pussy. All you, all you, all you perverts. Yeah, yeah. He's seen that pussy. Yeah, I've seen that pussy. Hey, For all hey, you back home. Hey, Sean. Hey, it Sean. Cat. Sean, nice cat. So Thanks, while we're here, um, so there's no IMF TV for this. Yeah, and so I'm glad because I weapons. don't have a goddamn clue yeah, well, what the it, hell they'd be it's, using. It's, it's grape shot and, and sabers. <laughs> uh, but we'll turn um, weapons quick. They say the French um, should have the Minier pattern rifle, uh, the pattern 46. The British mm-hmm. started using the Enfield pattern uh, 1853. Yeah. They started with the percussion smoothbore, um, but they quickly got the Enfield the Enfield of Civil War fame, mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. production and to the troops in Crimea. So they were using that, which had the Minier bullet. Yep. The Russians were trying, were pushing um, a rifle, a Minier-style Russian rifle. It has a designation. I want to say it's 1856, so it, it came out like towards the end, just towards the end. A lot of them had percussion mus- uh, smoothbore muskets, yeah. the Russians, and also the reserves would have flintlocks from the Napoleonic War. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah, you see very few in the movie. I honestly think when they have like the siege of the Alma, I honestly think the extras are just holding black sticks with like a bayonet attached to the end of it, <laughs> yep. because you see one of them run and it, man, it just looks like he's holding a fence post. Like I, it's, <laughs> it probably was. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not a bad thing, but that is uh, that's what they should be earning. Um, what they should be using it is still uh, smoothbore cannons and whatnot. Um, yeah. I don't think the Dahlgren was around. Well, so yet. there, there would have been that there would have been probably uh, like a bunch of you know smoothbore shit that was like uh, retrofitted, like a flintlock that was retrofitted with a cap and ball, yes. kind of thing. Like, but I, 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 again, I don't know the models. This is way beyond my wheelhouse of knowledge. So, well, so Sean, um, I, I wish that you were with us when we did um, Fields of Honor. I know we keep coming back to that. But oh, yeah, my Chaspo is like right over there. <laughs> how, how different is you know the French army? Now to then, I mean, it's about fifteen years. Um, the French army was much like... more professional to the uh, to the British army. Uh, remember so... the the French had um, the French had been in war in Algeria um, before this. Uh, you you missed it, Nate. You got to go back. Um, before we have the movie up, yeah, the French no, army had been the French it. army was much more professional because it was the Napoleonic army of fame beforehand. Um, Louis Napoleon wanted to show off the French army again, but they had also invaded Algeria in 1830. So they had a bit of, they had more combat experience. They had a medical corps. They had uh, a better supply um, department than the British did, which the British basically tried to save as much money as they fucking could. Um, so the French army was leagues better than the British. Leagues better. Really quick question, because hmm. I actually don't know who were they fighting in. In the 1830s in Algeria, who were they? Were they fighting Algerians or were they fighting another? Oh, so they took over uh, Algeria, Algerians. Right? Yeah, the the what formal army Algeria had, and then Algerian guerrillas. Okay, so yeah, they weren't does they that, weren't fighting another power. Okay, no, does no, that no, no, play no. at all into the 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 um the raiding parties? The the bear what it was like um what was it uh when the Americans went against the pirates, the Barbary pirates and everything? Does that uh, have anything to play with the, it at all? The or? Fifteen in the 1780s? Uh, no. Oh, oh <laughs> not exactly. Sorry. That's well, way that's early. That's, that's okay. early. That's... Tripoli's in Libya too, correct? Or is that? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. I thought there was some kind of American uh, naval battles in the 1820s and the Mediterranean. I could be wrong. 
probably am. Yeah, it's, but, it, um, it's out of all of our wheelhouses. The, like, the, the last thing I want to touch on, too, is, again, because I wish that you were there. And you had brought this up to me, Sean. And if anybody's a, a, you know, a listener to our podcast every week, I want them to know this. But there's something we fucked up when we talked about the Franco-Prussian War was allegiances or alliances after the fact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sean, you'd mentioned, like, you know, what happens with Russia and France after that. How yeah, they, they basically, uh, you know. The 1890s they, uh, Treaty of Alliance between France and Russia. Um, as the as the French are defeated in the Franco-Prussian War, they basically determine that they will never face Germany alone again. So they enlist Russia. Basically, Russia had a huge um, railroad boom going on, and the French funded um, it. Yep. Funded it. Yeah, the yep. the Vita the Vita boom. Uh, that was the railway minister, um, who was like the only smart guy in the Tsar's cabinet. Um, the French fund French bankers funded it, and that's how they secured the alliance of uh, defensive alliance with the Russians. Which is why it um, pulled France in, in yeah. 1914, inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that is why that is why France was able to survive because the Russians, who were also experienced from the uh, Russo-Japanese War, were able to get mobilized yep. and moving quick. Yeah, um, yeah, because they fucked up and like they uh, yeah. And in 1912, when they had the maneuvers and they were like, the Russians completely fucked that one up. They're like, okay, this is not going to happen again. And yeah. then in 14, <laughs> the German, like the Prussians and the Austro-Hungarians. They didn't expect Russia to be able to mobilize that fast because they were like, oh, we saw what they did in 12. You know, they, they can't yeah, fucking mobilize. Not, not going to be a group. problem, yeah. <laughs> but they did. That's the, that's the issue. It was like they did and, you know, whatever. But that's World War One. That's, Jesus Christ, that would take probably yeah, fucking that's... F- uh, 12 episodes, at, at least an hour apiece, just to go through that <laughs> shit. Back. Um, but yeah, This is more like the Baltics, the, uh, the not the Baltics, the Balkan, Balkan states yeah. kind of come out of this, out of this mm-hmm. war. Um, their independence movements, and thus, you know, the leads into the various Balkan conflicts, and eventually, that is what boils, you know, makes the pot of World War One boil over. Um, because yeah, in typical European fashion, it was like after the Crimean War, when all you know these different ethnic groups and religions were living in the same area, they're like, oh, "You guys do your own thing and become countries." And um, yeah, the, just, the Greek War of Independence is also something. Well, yeah, that's the Greeks were never mentioned in this film yeah. either. Never. They're not. They were actually there was actually a Greek legion in the in Sevastopol because obviously they mm-hmm. hated the Ottomans. Um, of the course. Greeks had won their independence in the eighteen twenties or the thirties. I'm not totally versed yeah. in the Greek War of Independence, but around that time that the Greek question you know, the Greek gains independence and the Ottomans start to wane. It's really obvious what's happening now. That's what kicks us off. And I just I just want to say for the record for this podcast, um I was gonna say this earlier, but like when we say Turks, we actually mean Ottomans because yes. it's the Ottoman Empire is from the 15th century, or I'm sorry, 16, uh, 16th century until 1919, basically. And the Turks came on like the late 20s and 30s. But like when we say Turks, Back we to obviously the 1300s. Know. Yeah, but it's yeah, yeah. shorthand because most of them were Balkan Christians or um, right from North Africa. You know. Yeah, that's the thing. it's so fucking it's so convoluted. That's the problem. Yeah, but they're they're like, totally written out of this movie. So right, and that's the thing. Is like, <laughs> if you're yeah. looking from this movie, you're going to be let down. Yeah, yeah. The Ottomans and the Greeks are not in this, and it's like, well, yeah. yeah I mean, so I like I like certain things this movie does, but it left a, it leaves a lot out. Like it tries to put that. Oh well, I don't know if we want to close the thoughts, but it it tries to put that um that Cardigan Nolan thing. It kind of makes up that 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 whole. Uh, rivalry right and they also and spent so much time with yeah. just like the the arist, arist, uh, um, aristocratic like culture and like the shit they did it's like you could have you could have spent a lot of more time formulating like kind of 
these different alliances and like the different, you, you don't have to go into detail, but like just kind of show that instead of the British aristocracy in the 1850s. Like, okay, we get I a think, taste of that, but like, okay. I think this is a good time. We could start to move into ratings, you know, w- with everything. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting film. It's very, you know, one from its time. <laughs> um, it does so much, you know, I feel like it just, it breaks that rule of just trying to do too much, <laughs> you know, yeah. like keep it simple, stupid, just, is it a film about aristocracy? Is it a film about, you know, the Crimean war? Is it a film about Nathan not trying to find a commercial? Fucking, uh, it's fucking I, I windmill laughed because of it was the fall of Sebastopol Fox. You know? Yeah, it was, it was Sebastopol Fox, and then a windmill of peace over a Mustang. I don't yep. know. You see mouse. Wow. Yep, All exactly. Right. No, it's it's you know it's a very interesting film from when it was made, and um, yes, give you a rating. To start with the ratings. You start it. You start it. You already have. Well, um, taking everything in consideration, we've said. I mean, you know, it, again, it just tries to do too much, and. Um, it's really a product of its time. I like a lot of things about it. I don't like a lot of things about it. I really feel like you can cut like 25 minutes from the beginning and make it better. Um, once they're in Crimea, it's great. The battle sequences are very interesting. I like how they're shot, but at other points, it just looks like reenactors shooting blanks at each other and not dying. Um, but I love how some of them are so wide. And they really do try to you know show the terrain of Crimea because it's a very interesting place. You know, Not a lot of the world looks like Crimea. Um, and luckily they found some of that in England. Uh, it's not Turkey, like forests and things actually. like, or yeah. really Turkey. Oh, Turkey, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's it makes sense. Yeah. Shot. So close. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. But, uh, close to home, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but overall I would give it a, a 6.5 out of 10. Um, you know, it's worth watching. And as Sean has proven here and like other films have proven, you know, it gets you interested and it gets you wanting to read about it. And then it gets you to find the facts of the matter. And, you know, during that process, if the original source material that got you involved wanes and you know how you view it, it still got you there. So it's definitely worth checking out, and it's the best film about um, you know the Crimean War, in my opinion. It's very interesting. You know, I went into this thinking like, oh, the Life Brigade was one thing, but coming out of it, doing a little bit of research, it really was completely something different. You know, and uh, yeah, it just goes to show how we prepare to fight the last war. <laughs> And we have to be fluid to new ways of fighting. And that, you know, just because you were an adjutant of a great general, Wellington, doesn't mean that you have to live in their shadow. So, um, couldn't they put it by one of the railway stations? <laughs> uh, what'd you have to think about it, Michael? I thought I, I quite liked it. Um, like I say, I don't know much about this history. And, uh, I'm sure if I was like Sean, I would, uh, you know, just eviscerate it. But, um, uh, no, I, th- I think, uh, cause I'm pretty unfree- uh, unforgivable when it comes to that stuff, but, um, I, I was entertained by it. I, uh, I, um, I actually did like all the stuff back. Um, like th- there's an hour before we even get to the war. And, um, I actually did thought, I actually did like, uh, most of that. I thought it was interesting. I, uh, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I, I, uh, I was never bored while watching it. So um, I think I will give it a seven out of ten, and I will pass. Yes, I will pass it on to Mike. Yeah. So everything we talked about, I really wish they would have used that first hour to explain more about like 
the upcoming like balkanization of that region of you know what was being contested at that point because that would give people not only the interest of like the Crimean War and how that influenced so many future conflicts, but also how the Balkans came to exist. And it's like, again, you don't have to get, do a nerdy deep dive. Just like show people talking to each other. Like the, if you want to show the British aristocracy, show them talking to the future leaders of, you know, the Balkan states that became that and like their problems with the Ottomans and the Greeks and, you know, whatever. I, I wish it would have been more well spent on that. Now, when we get to the actual war, yeah, this looks like, uh, from all the pictures I've seen, this looks like the Crimean area, like, you know, Southern Ukraine, which is now Southern Ukraine, but like, it looks a lot like that. And from like world war two, people describe it as just a fucking it's steps, but it's like more rolling Hills, but it's just fucking nothing. So I like that, that they actually shot on a place that looked where the battle looked like where the battle took place. And also that they, they brought their wives and their families, like a lot of the officers. Yeah, that's an interesting what, aspect. One, one in six, yeah, we're allowed to bring uh, Yeah, and it, so their, that's, their that's a good touch, even though it's like, nowadays you can't even fucking fathom that. But like, yeah, it was, and even in the Napoleonic Wars, like they would bring their families to just sit there and watch the battle. And it's like, it's such, it, it's so different from, so that was a good touch. Um, the acting was good. I think, like, I, I, I can't tell the uniforms. I'm not going to even comment on the uniforms or the weaponry. They're, they're good. The uniforms are good. Okay, yeah, because I have no fucking yeah. clue, and I'm not going to, you know, whatever. To me, yeah, I'm just an idiot that looks on, and okay, it looks good. But um, the acting was really good. The A lot of the little niche details, or niche as Brian would say, um, niche details that they actually took into consideration, like the families being there in the tents, you know, oh, 18 inches, blah, blah, blah. That I respect that because I did research even in '68 when the research was a lot harder to fucking do. We didn't have the internet, so I like that. Um, as far as the entire film, I don't know if it's because I'm just feeling off today. I'm kind of like sickly, but like it, it's just kind of um, for the first like hour and a half, it's just pretty fucking boring. And again, that's just my opinion. That's not a fact. It's like okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But um, as far as being entertaining, the filmmaking itself was pretty good. The shots and everything, I don't have a problem with. Um, and the, I just wish they would have gone more into like the actual, like I said. And so, yeah, I'm going to give this a five out of ten. Because it's, I think they just could have done so much more by doing so much less and just kind of fucking narrowing it down to what happened instead of this feud between these British officers and other things like showing about the culture and shit like that. It's like, yeah, at a certain point you get it. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Do do we need to see another fucking dance? Really? Like that's the kind of thing. But yeah, so five out of 10, I didn't like it. I didn't hate it. It was just kind of like, ugh. okay. So yeah. Um, Sir Sean. Um, I, when I first watched this movie, I really, really liked it. It got me down this rabbit hole and I wanted you guys to review it. And thus I'm here. Um, my opinion has lessened a little bit now that I know way more about it. Um, 
I think the first half of the movie could have been shortened to maybe 20 minutes. Um, and there's so much more you could have unpacked and shown that whole, the aristocracy and all that. Um, there's so much better ways to do that with the Crimean conflict, the Scutari barracks. Um, if you've ever heard about that, that is where the right, uh, the red cross comes from, uh, Florence Nightingale, the red cross and all that, um, where they had eight, three miles of beds and not 18 inches in between each bed. Um, and it was just packed full of guys. You could have shown that. You could have shown. You could have had the Turks in the movie somehow, or the French more. It. It's just that part. That first half of the movie kind of ruins it for me. Um, has kind of ruined it for me. Once they get to the Crimea, I think it does do a good job. Um, I just think, yeah, the first half was kind of a waste. Um, so I'll give it a five out of ten as well. Uh, hey. Right. That's only one more left. <laughs> That's how that works. Um, I mean, I, I, we we kind of did a different rhythm today, um, so I guess I'll start off with what I what I did like. I mean, I liked um, I liked a lot of the training. I liked a lot of in the 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 look into the training because I think I just don't have that much expertise in that era. So getting an insight into that training and that and that kind of mindset, I liked half of the officer quarreling and the and the getting to know kind of like the gentleman's you know era and kind of understanding how uh uh narcissistic these people are um and 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 kind of going through that and 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 knowing that already but just getting more of a deep dive into the setting of this of this movie in particular and then i really liked i I always think um cavalry is uh is is in a film is always very impressive and i i know how much effort that takes especially to keep people safe um so i i I think a movie that has that um you can see a lot of effort into that um and i know that's a thing you mainly you see it a lot in the 60s and the 70s um and it's, it's still very impressive to see um the weaponry you know I don't know that much about it. Looked impressive. I didn't see the sticks that Sean was talking about. Yeah, uh, it was earlier it. in that battle. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, it was. It was way earlier. Gotcha. Okay, I, I believe it though. Um, then there's other things that I kind of was like, okay, you know, everyone's kind of touched on already, but you know, the how long they were in Europe, uh, or sorry, in England, um, and then how uh, just some of the kind of just okay, we get it. Okay, we get it. Okay, we get it. Okay, we get it. So, but. Nothing really, nothing really screamed at me about it, and I, I, th- I think, um, but but nothing really like detracted from it other than you know the too much training and everything. But I, I can't think of anything cinematically, uh, just because, um, I always talk about the editing and the cinematography felt very much nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, um, but it wasn't bad, and it was, and uh, but it, there were a lot of like up close of the time shots. Um, which I always kind of go, all right, yeah, I get it. Um, but overall, no, I mean, like I, I liked it. It, this is definitely an insight into a, into an era that I didn't quite know. And, uh, so I think I'm going to give it three good smacks and I think I'm going to give it, uh, (laughs) I think I'm going to give it a six out of 10 screen mill Gibsons. Um, and you know, this is not love, so. (laughs) <laughs> no, should have been yeah. the tagline of the movie yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so everyone you're gonna have to watch that to get that one but anyway well sean 
this rating is in your handwriting, so it's it's actually your fault. Um, I've lost you know, the Light Brigade. I'm just yeah, you you <laughs> lost Light Brigade this week, so yeah, yeah it wasn't my trick. My, Sean, yeah. Nathan, you you know Sean's handwriting. This isn't this isn't mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine, no, so. no. Sean transcribed yeah, so, that yeah. totally wrong. Yeah, I, even I, though even though he transcribed it exactly what he yeah. said, he repeated it back to him. And I'm he just said, gonna go yes. send something to the War Department <laughs> quick. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hold his mail, uh, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so putting the scores in, we get a score of five point nine. So you know. Uh, it's worth it to learn about history before you go on Wikipedia and, and read a book about it. So yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> as, we can, as, as we have said, any any movie that can do that is does a good job. But yeah, yep. at least doing that. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Any 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 movie. I think we've always said like you know, unless it's fucking Hyena Road. Everything. Every mm. movie's good to watch. So. Yep. Right. Well, Midway. Uh. <laughs> and Midway has a high. Midway is like middle of the road now. <laughs> Forgot all about Midway. Uh, no. That was with a point one from Mike A. <laughs> like, <laughs> so this is one last thing I want to touch on sure. before this is over. So you know, you have the Crimean War, and it's this horrible, bloody modern conflict in the 1850s, and it's fought on the you know the steps of Crimea around Sevastopol. And all these things happen, and all these guys die, and they all get buried, and everyone goes home until Germany invades Russia in 1941. And in the spring of 1942, they're heavily besieged Sevastopol, and they literally dig in on the same places and the same cemeteries where these guys died 80 years, you know, 90 years before. And when you read a lot of the battles in Crimea, it's just crazy where they talk about digging into the English cemetery or the French cemetery or these things later on. And it's Germans fighting Russians or, you know, all this shit happened. Well, it's it's also you can't forget this because it's also ironic. A lot of Romanians in Sevastopol. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of Romanians. But it's it's funny because, like, the Romanians were a reason for that whole thing happening. And then you got Romanians who actually made up a big part of the defense of Sevastopol immediately or like initially. And it's like, I mean, it's like, do we ever fucking learn? Do we ever move past like our, our blunders in the past? Like, it's just insane. We pay for our ancestors. Fuck ups a lot in a way. Yep. You and, know, uh, I just sent a link to you guys for the actual bugle call. And I was wrong. It's recorded in 1890 from the bugler from, uh, that and we will hopefully if we can we'll put it at the end of the podcast or we'll link it in the yeah. other thing but it's pretty crazy to you know same guy however many years later 34 35 same bugle <laughs> and uh same call so hopefully uh you guys still do it something. he's remembered it yeah <laughs> yeah right hopefully you guys learned something sean thank you so much for joining us yeah man thanks a lot um, i learned a lot it was really cool yep. glad and uh i'm glad i don't have to have four minutes of squares and fight cavalry Nice thought to do that. Or so. ride directly at it. It'd be a bitch to fight a fucking hill. It'd be a bitch to fight a hill, you know? The, yeah. the closest I want to come to Russian guns is uh, a Victoria's Cross. So yes. that's, that's about it. So. <laughs> Jesus. Cool, guys. Well, uh, catch you next time. Who the fuck's hot miking, by the way? Yeah, who, who's, whose TV is going on right now? Is that you, Brian? No. 
Mike Sean? A, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> that's okay, uh, that's, that's you. fine. That's, that's, that's okay. No, that's, that's the real uh, housewives of New Jersey in the back. That's, yeah. that's Jamie. She's in, the, she's in the shower. She listens to stuff when she's in the shower. Okay, is that is that the midget real world thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, she she watches that. She doesn't listen to it. Um, oh, okay. But uh, okay. I don't know. She's listening to some. She's she's uh, coincidentally listening to some podcast in there. So. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook youtube and instagram pages if you want to directly support our work make sure to check out our patreon all these links are in the description below until the next time scuttlebutt out